Hey everybody, welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm Spencer Martin from the Beyond the Peloton newsletter, which breaks down pro cycling. I'm here with Andrew Vance from the Choose the Hardway podcast. We are doing our Tour de France pre-race preview. That it kicks off this Saturday in Bilbao, the Spanish Basque country, with two tough stages before popping back over the border to France for three more weeks of racing. Andrew, before we get into it, do you want to say a quick word about your podcast? We have a stacked July coming up. Find Choose the Hard Way everywhere you listen at choosetheharway.com and at Hardway Pod on social. We've got Mitch Docker coming up, Brent Bookwalter, Unbound Gravel XL winner Kristen Legan and her husband Nick Legan, uh, and a number of other, and an Allison Jackson interview that's going to drop on both of these channels. So come check us out everywhere you listen. Choose the Hard Way is about how. Hard things are fun and build stronger human beings. Great to be here, Spencer. Oh, it's great to have you, man. The le- the Legans, you just keep you keep hitting out of the park. I don't know how you're getting these guests, but I'll just go over a quick overview of the course, and then you have a wild theory you want to put forth. It starts in the Basque Country. A really unusual start of the race. You know, normally we have a prologue or a time trial, and then um, a few just kind of easy stages to, to maybe the sprinters can test or people just kind of put their way through. But this is two tough stages in the opening weekend. I think it's going to be exciting, but not maybe quite as exciting as people think. Um, probably won't see any major contenders dropped. You'll just see people who you think might be a contender weeded out early. It won't tell us that much. We go into the Pyrenees for a short, short, short stay in the Pyrenees in the opening week. Um, kind of unusual that we have two mountain stages before stage seven. We have Puy du Dome on stage nine. That's in the Mass- Massif Central. It used to be a really, really, really famous climb in the tour. I'm not convinced that modern gearing and fitness will make it as awesome as people think. Um, we have a few flat stages interspersed in there. Um, the second week is like classic Tour de France transition stage. Mark Cavendish will be going for um, the record-breaking tour stage win record during that i assume and then we go into the alps starting on stage 13 we're there forever basically from stage 13 to stage 17 are all alpine stages including a time trial um, a rest day in there and then you have a flat stage a hilly stage uh, a mountain stage in the alsace region on stage 20 and then the 21st stage in paris which will be a sprint i the, the contenders, main contenders, Jonas Vindegaard, last year's winner, Tadej Pogacar, the winner two years before that. I, I do, I frankly don't see a winner coming outside of those two unless something happens and they're kidnapped or, or injured, which I, the likelihood of both of them being injured, I don't think that's high. Um, behind them, I kind of like Jai Henley and Ben O'Connor. I thought they both looked really good in the run-up races here, or uh, sorry, in June before this. And then like Enric Moss, Adam Yates, David Godou, Simon Yates, Mateus Schelmoza, Roman Bardet, Richard Carapaz would be the names after that. For the sprints, you have like Mark Cavendish, Gasper Philipson, who we talked about in depth in yesterday's, yesterday's episode. I think he's going to be the man to beat in these sprints. But then you also have like the strong sprinters like Mads Pedersen, Peter Sagan. Um, also, we talked about yesterday. I don't feel so great about him. But that's the general lay of the land. And then Wout Van Aert will be going for stages in there um, to support Andrew's theory that he is going for the all-time stage win record, which I also believe. Um, I'm kind of curious to talk about Wout and what is actually going on with him versus what he says he's going into this tour for. But Andrew, just to get, just to get started hot, what is your, what is your crazy theory? I, I, I'm dying to know. I'm, I'm going to keep it up my sleeve until a bit later. But uh, one of the things I want to start out with here. Cavendish is going to take a stage win and he's going to win the record. He's going to need the hand of God. Like there's going to be some Deus Ex Machina (laughs) moment that makes this happen. I don't, it's not going to happen through his craftiness, skill and power. And I'm just, I'm trying to figure out how is it going to happen? He doesn't have that, that uh, push from Garrett Thomas. He's not getting the Madison sling to the finish line this time. How do you see it unfolding? Yeah, no, I agree. I think I didn't think he was going to get the record before this Giro. Um, and the fact that he fought his way through that Giro and then won the final stage, now I'm convinced he will. I, you know, I could be wrong. You will find out soon if I am wrong. Stage three, Monday, that's the first sprint stage. I kind of see a, I bet a massive crash happens. 
And I, I, in my mind's eyes, see yeah. Cavendish floating through the crash, untouched, sprints, gets the record. Boom, we get it out of the way on stage three. I, I think this comes early, and I think it comes because the nervousness. I mean, we've seen this a million times. There's a first sprint stage of the tour. Everyone's amped up to 11. Massive crash. Whoever doesn't crash wins the stage. So th that's how I see it happening. Or if that doesn't happen... Yeah. Keep an eye out for stage 21 in Paris. I mean, that Cavendish is, he's slower than he used to be, but he's very strong now. I think he's hes a stronger rider than he was in his younger days. Yeah, Spencer, I've been reflecting since we recorded our final Unchained recap yesterday. If you all haven't checked that out, please do so. It's There are a lot of the Unchained recaps out there right now, but this one is stronger than Thurlow Rogers on the Simi ride out in L.A., it's unstoppable. Be sure to check it out. And I was, you know, I was reflecting on Jonas's ride last year. And of course I have my theories about Jonas fame, the pressure that he's going to have coming into this tour and what I believe will be his inability to handle that, which I think ultimately is why he will not win the tour de France this year. And I'm just saying it again. I've been saying it for a while. I'm also was reflecting on just, uh, the level of chaos within the team, the number of times people were on the ground. And I was thinking back, uh, I was thinking about Lance actually. And like, let's set the doping aside. One of Lance's greatest gifts, and perhaps it was related to doping because I have to think it does enhance your cognitive ability if you're less fatigued. But during his run, he just like, the man never crashed. I mean, it's insane. Like his ability to stay on the bike through those um, those tours relative to what we saw last year, it's pretty nuts. So, you know, I think as always, the ground is undefeated in the history of professional cycling. The more I reflect on what went on inside of Yumbo last year, and let's set aside the, you know, Wout crying after being gifted the time trial, the outside appearance that everything is you know, all good within the team. There's a lot of tension within that team. And they spent a lot of time on the ground at the 2022 Tour de France. So that's just something that's really top of mind for me right now. I was actually up all night thinking about it. <laughs> I haven't slept a wink. Um, you know, you, you do highlight some tensions in there. And the, the documentary definitely did. I found it a little like while Van Art came out, he was pretty, pretty peeved about how they made him look that kind of makes me concerned like well if it really was just fabricated you probably wouldn't care that much um and none of it seems to have been resolved since last year like while it's still here christophe laporte who has to have ambitions at least for stage wins right i mean the guy could probably be a green jersey contender on any other team um and then obviously Jonas trying to defend his his overall win here it it is a little complicated and when you look at uae they have Taddy Pogacar, no pressure on him, basically, because he broke his wrist at Liège. We've all kind of forgotten about him. He's been, what, riding away in his kitchen on the trainer. Uh, went to Slovenian Nationals just, yeah, ca casually. I'll just win the time trial by a few minutes. Not a big deal. And the team is all behind him. I, I know some people, you know, some, some dear friends of ours think that the team is actually supporting Adam Yates here. I don't believe that. I think it's a strong team behind Pogacar. No one, maybe Mark Soler in his mind is the favorite for the overall win and he'll be a problem. But if they can get Soler under control, that's a, that's a strong unified team. I think they could be a lot harder to beat than they were last year. Do you see Yates as a net positive or a net negative within UAE? I'd say net positive. I mean, if you think Rafa Mike is good, but there's a limit to what he can do. So that left Fogaccia really isolated in key mountain stages last year. And the main thing with the isolation is you just don't have nutrition. There's no one to give you anything. There's no one probably to remind you to eat and to drink. If Yates can just be there for Pogacar, I mean, that's, I think that's a net gain. I mean, he's not going to, I don't think Pogacar is going to be in yellow and Yates is, is lining up like a massive attack and working with Yumbo to, to try to knock his teammate off. I think any sort of rivalry between them is, is not realistic and fabricated. The man's never podiumed at a grand tour before. I don't think at 30 years old, he now thinks I'm, right. I'm, an, I'm now the leader on this team, not the best rider potentially in the history of the sport. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any concerns about that on its face. I just dismiss any arguments that Yates might be 
a co-leader of UAE. I don't think that's the case. I think that's something to consider in the event that Pagacha is injured during the race, not with his current form, which he's flying. He's in top form. I see him most likely winning this race, but I suppose if he has a bad crash and is out of the race, is incapable of going for the GC, maybe they then support Yates. Although even thinking about that, if Pagacha stays in the race, he's still going to go for stage wins. I don't think suddenly he's like, you know what? I'm here to support Adam Yates. Let's, uh, let's, let's get him on the podium. I just, I, the more I think about it, the more I think there's no circumstance where that actually happens other than Pagacha somehow exiting the race. The thing that I'm curious about in the converse situation, which is the more likely one that's grounded in the reality that we all live in on planet earth <laughs> is that Pagacha is going for the GC and I'm reflecting back on the season. Spencer, your knowledge is encyclopedic. Mine is not. Has Yates been in a, uh, has he been in a situation where he has had to ride in support of Pagacha this season in the mountains? Have we seen that go down yet? I don't think we have, have we? I don't think we've seen them at the same race together, right? That's so that's he, what I'm saying. So this is right. So this is this is where I'm like, okay, this is one of those we brought in a guy who was a, a maybe someday I'm a stage winner. We're now gonna he can definitely he's got the engine, he's got the racecraft to be there in the high mountains on team all about me. So I'm wondering, like, okay, how does this guy do when it's like get in line and eat some wind until you die. And then I'm going to go win the race. How's that going to work out for him in this role? And you raise a good point. <laughs> I'm now searching my mind's eye for any example of him ever doing work for anyone. I'm not sure I've seen it. He actually, he kind of has, has a unique riding style. Like he got his best result probably in his career is fourth at the 2016 tour. And I just vividly remember him sitting last right. wheel. Like he would just be a group of 10, he's last wheel. Group of five, he's last wheel. And that's kind of how he rides. It's, it's impressive. I don't see him. He's not like Rafa Micah can perform incredible feats in the mountains. Like he turns himself inside out for Pogacar. But, you know, Yates is a professional. I, you know, maybe he's not going to be super domestique of the year, but I think he'll be there when, when, when the, let's say the shit goes down and, and Yumbo is trying to, isolate Pogacar, you know, Yates will be able to stick there as long as, I think the problem with Yates is if you remember back to hmm, what, it was a stage race, maybe it was, let's just say it was Catalonia, something like that, where they had seemed to have like five leaders, Joao Almeida was there, Almeida's getting dropped, Yates is on the front, pacing a group away from Almeida. I just don't realistically see that happening. I don't, I think Pogacar is so good that there's no scenario where he is pacing away from Pogacar unless he has a mechanical. Um, yeah, I mean, to, to give you a, a kind of a, non, a non-denial denial, I just don't think that there's really going to be any scenario where Yates has the opportunity to, to hurt Pogacar in any way. And the fact that he's just present will, will be helpful. Okay. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see what happens. It's an untested combination. And... I'm trying to think about what would be an analogous Enios situation. What like has there been a scenario on that team because they always have, you know, and I definitely want to get into this in a minute, but maybe not right now. They're always bringing two to three people who could be GC contenders at least in one week stage races if they were on a different team. Then they're shoved into this role of you're now supporting the person who's our team leader this year because someone else rode into a bus or wrecked in a while out on the time trial bike. And then stuff gets weird typically over there at Enios. And this year it's going to be, it's going to be extra weird and it's going to be entertaining to watch. But yeah, I feel like UAE might have a bit of that, you know, Enios sky internal drama this year. So I'm, I'm curious Maybe. to see if Yates stays I mean, in line. Pagacha is so good. There's no way you're living in reality and thinking that like, I I've almost feel like they would kick you out of the bus. <laughs> like if no, no, I'm not. I'm, to be clear, I'm not saying we're going to have like an East Coast, West Coast uh, rap battle going down within the team. 
I'm just saying this is not the role that Yates has typically played within a team. And, you know, like, so what's going to happen? It's like, no, don't go for stages. We're not Yumbo. And we're going to talk about this as well. We're not Yumbo. We're not going to say, yeah, we're paying you 6 million euros to go ahead and go win a stage because we know you'll just leave the team and go do this for someone else if we don't let you do whatever you want even though it makes no sense for our overall GC aspirations. I don't think that's going to go on within UAE. It's just Yates is in a different role that's, you know, it's lower ego. It's uh, it's eating wind. It's looking around in the mountains, taking in the view like Sepp Kuz at uh, seven watts per kilo. So let's just, let's just see what happens. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm all over the map like usual, Spencer. I'm jumping over something that's really catching my eye on the start list right now. I am so hyped for Victor Campanerts to be back in the Peloton for this race. How are you feeling about it? Oh, man. It, to be honest, I hadn't thought about it. Didn't he like break his back or something? Do you remember this? Like he was I, yeah, coming yeah, he had some like a 65-2 chain ring and then yes. broke his back maybe. <laughs> To start this yeah, season. he was going for that. Yeah, he had 32 centimeter bars, a 65 tooth chain ring, so he could do a downhill attack. And I don't even remember which race it was. Uh, he has a YouTube channel, by the way. Have you checked it out? I have not checked it out. It has some pretty interesting content, uh, including a look at a day in the life of his training. Very superstitious writer, I would say combined with cutting edge marginal gains. So definitely go give him a follow on YouTube. I'm excited to see him back in the race. And just, you know, as we talked about before we got on air here, the game of of trying to project into the future and guess who might win what stage without the context of what's going on in the GC battle, what crashes have happened. You know, it's pretty tough to do, but I am looking at the start list and thinking about I, you know, I perhaps can't slot them into the exact stages, but I think we know who the people are who are likely to win stages. Campanerts, I think, is one of them. I'm not seeing Taco Vanderhorn on the start list. Very disappointing for all the well, narrow bar turned brifter buddies out there. Yeah. Is I, he injured? I will say something about these guys like Campanerts, Taco, like, have a lot of respect for them. They get a lot out of their abilities. I don't think that type of rider, I think like the reason Taco's not here, that type of rider just does not do well at the modern tour. Like Victor is a star, like a breakaway star that let's say lesser grand tours like the Giro or the Vuelta. This is like, this is big boy time. Like, I don't think you can, you can't fake your way into breakaways here. All the marginal gains in the world will not help you. There's not even really that many stages that guys like Taco or Victor could get into. I think a lot of the breaks are going to be contested on mountain stages. So, you know, you have to be like a Simon Geschke type, someone who's just a really, 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 really good climber. Um, no GC aspirations at all if you want to win breakaways on, at this tour. I think this is not going to, I don't think this is going to be a good race for the, the tacos and the victors of the, of the Peloton. Watch your mouth, Spencer. I, mean, <laughs> I hate to say it. I hate hey, to okay, say so, it. Okay. So, all right. So, where do you see Mate Mohoric? slotting in within the context of this this rubric that you formed because he he just he can't do what he used to do i feel like he used to have that sneak attack i'm going off the front early and then i can just motor for 200k thing going on i don't, I don't think they're going to let him do that anymore drop or post or not well he's a better climber than than those guys just kind of like a bigger engine so something like stage 11 or stage 10, where it's a hilly stage, you know, could be a breakaway, but you're going to have to be able to climb really well like that. That would be an option for him. I mean, a guy like that, realistically, just never going to win that much because so much has to go right. Like you have to be in a breakaway that gets away. You can't have Van Art. You can't have Vanderpool. And I mean, think about Vanderpool. He's like a, he's a monster sitting on top of all these potential stages that Campanarts or Taco or, um, Matt A. Motorich could win and he can get into all those breakaways and he's just going to win out of those breakaways because he's so fast. So that makes it really hard for them. Or even someone like Alberto Betty, all such a good rider and he's going for the same type of stages. So it will be tough for Matt A. Motorich, I think. I mean, the, the tour is always hard for riders like that. I mean, maybe when we get into the, the problem is the third week is usually when those guys shine 
we have one sprint stage, one hilly stage, or sorry, two sprint stages if you count Paris, one hilly stage, and the rest are mountains. So those are either going to be GC or, or mountain riders contesting the breakaways. There's not a ton, ton of opportunities. And before I forget it, just like a low-level example of weirdness that we could see with UAE, just to wrap that up really quick, is like what we saw with Ineos at the Giro, where Grant Thomas was winning or in second for most of the race. He had two teammates in the top 10 as well, Timon Aronsman and Lawrence Deplus. There wasn't a problem per se, but they never were willing to like send one of those guys into the breakaway to call Yumbo's bluff. And whenever they were getting dropped from Thomas's group, instead of sitting up and saving their energy, which is what you should do as a domestique, they're going as hard as they can to finish like 40 seconds behind Thomas, basically burning their energy to stay in the top 10, but it's hurting the overall mission of the team. You know, that's something we could see with Adam Yates now that I think about it, where he's, he's not a problem in, like in a direct sense, but he's just kind of doing his own thing. He's on the Yates program. He's riding for fifth place. Um, in theory, you could send him in a breakaway to really, really disrupt Yumbo, but he's not going to do it because if the breakaway gets caught, he's going to fall down to like 15th on the GC. So that is an example of that. But as far as stage hunters, I think, I think this is going to be... Not, I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this will be a great breakaway tour. I don't think so. I think the presence of guys like Van Art and Vanderpool are major problems for for breakaway specialists and all the mountains. This doesn't constitute betting advice, but a question I have for you, Spencer, is there a market where you and I could make a bet against each other about the probability of of Victor Campanaritz taking a stage win? Mm, we'd have to lie. I mean, I guess every day we'll talk about just, it. Off. We'll, talk about it off. we'll talk about it off. We'll talk about it offline. Every day, <laughs> and then if you're right, <laughs> I look like an idiot. I mean, uh, just... we'll talk about this. We'll talk about this offline. Um, we'll address it in our Q3 uh, check-in. Um, but yeah, I I think that uh, you know I'm not going to say that Campanaritz is taking the GC, but I have some theories about it that we can go deeper on offline. So speaking of things that appear to be a total mess let's talk about Ineos what do you see going down within this team they've kind of have made this they're talking about Pidcock this is the year he's building towards his GC aspirations blah 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 that just sounds like bullshit to me what do you think yeah I mean he's not a GC rider but he's never done well in GC he's never expressed a real willingness to want to do well so the like it's just not realistic I actually can't believe people keep eating that story up I don't expect, I mean, I expect nothing from a GC perspective, like Egan Bernal doing well relative to his terrible crash. And then like, what the last, was that two years ago? You know, if he finishes 15th, that's great for him. I kind of see that happening. Danny Martinez has not been as strong as I would want him to have been this year. You know, maybe 10th place would, would be something he could do. I think it's going to be stage wins, stage wins with Pitcock, Iapkowski, Carlos Rodriguez. Carlos Rodriguez would be the one guy they have that could maybe finish in the top five. That's awesome for Carlos Rodriguez. That can't be awesome for a team that has, I think they have like a close to a $60 million uh, salary payroll this year. Like that's the biggest in the sport by a long shot. That's not what they're paying yeah. for to, to maybe get fifth with Carlos Rodriguez. My big question about Ineos why did they send all their best GC riders to the Giro? As I just said, they had three riders in the top 10. Teo Gegenhart crashed out. He might have won that Giro. Why did they have both Thomas and Gegenhart at the Giro and not send one of them to the Tour? That's the, that's the big question I cannot quite square in my mind. I mean, maybe they, maybe they thought Pidcock would be a star, GC star by this point. I, I don't understand that. Do you, have, do you have any theories on what's going on there? One of the theories that I have is they, in aggregate, have zero confidence in Thomas. I don't think that they had a chance that he had a chance in hell of doing what he ended up doing this year. So chapeau to him. I think he rode way beyond what they believe was possible for him. I think they, at this point, he's like an elephant that uh, has ground down its teeth. They're just waiting for him to to <laughs> die uh, in terms of his professional ability, right? But so I don't think that they have any belief GC in GC rider last year. I, I, I don't I, disagree with you. I just I still don't. I, yeah, I don't see I don't why know. they're. I mean, not you're telling me that. to make make sense of a. 
you're telling me to make sense of a team that uh, is incredibly arrogant yet doesn't do anything that particularly makes sense in my opinion. And when I look at the team this year, I don't know. I think for the most part, they're going to ride around like the extras and space balls and their giant helmets and uh Pidcock will likely win a stage and that'll pretty much save the day for them. I mean, yeah, def- save the day, maybe in like the Anglophone media, but you got to imagine like Jim Ratcliffe is putting a lot of money into that team. There's really no hope in sight that that's what would, that's what could be a problem is like, they don't have a single person on the roster that you could say this guy could win the tour in the next three years. I mean, that's an issue. I mean, Bernal's probably not coming back to the level he once was. And I think even if he did come back to that level, that's no longer good enough. That's kind of the problem. They seem to always be stuck in the past a little bit. They, as you say, they clearly have no faith in Thomas, or maybe they have all the faith in Thomas and thought, we just need to win a grand tour this year. We need to get a win on the board. We're throwing everything at the zero. Thomas is our best bet. That didn't pan out. And now they're burned a little bit because they have nothing in reserve for the tour. But it'd be like if, if Jonas Vindegaard and Primoz Roglic both did the Giro, like maybe send one of those guys to the tour, but maybe they have no confidence in Teo Gegenhart and they didn't think he was going to be as good as he was. I thought he doesn't crash at that Giro. He's probably, he's probably challenging, if not beating Primoz Roglic for that win. So it would be nice to have him at this tour. That's for sure. But I guess this is the bigger question. If you're not Jonas Vindegaard or Tade Pogacar, or if you don't have them on your team, do you have a realistic shot of winning this race? And should you even try to win this race if you don't have two of those riders, those two riders? I think this goes back to our Unchained conversation yesterday and revisiting those moments in the 2022 tour when Pogacar and uh, Vindegaard both almost flew off the road and ended their tours, or if not into their tours, lost, could have potentially lost enough time that someone else could have won the race. So I think that that's the chance that these other teams have in this race to take the GC, right? It's, it's a moment like that. And so if let's say those guys crash tragically, stage one, broken wrist, boom, 10, 10K in, I'm crying, I'm in tears, I'm inconsolable. Who do you think then is the favorite to win the race or like what two riders that's i mean that's what i'm trying to piece together here as i look through the start list if we were to take a look at yumbo for example let's say vinegard is out of the race like who's your plan b there or do they just go for stage wins yeah they're going i mean they're telling coos try to stay up there in gc and then they're they're running. I mean, I actually would, I actually would be kind of interested to see what would happen because with uh, Tej Banu, Dylan Van Barrow, Walt Van Aert, Christophe Laporte, Sepp Kuss, you they could win like half the stages in the race. So uh, maybe that would be kind of fun to see. I think that would be really interesting. Um, now that you mentioned that, you know, I, I like, I think the Australians, I, I, from the Dauphiné, the fact that Ben O'Connor's third, Jai Henley's fourth, Jack Egg is fifth. Right especially with the time trials being there's one time trial 22k long you might look at that and think well this is a climbers race time trialing doesn't matter those gaps are going to be massive in the time trial we saw a little preview of this with the dauphine the stage four time trial was 31k long not quite as hilly um this tour time trial is 22k long 2,000 feet of climbing so that's like 15 miles with 2,000 feet of climbing that's a lot and what we saw at the Dauphiné is the better time trialists were actually, the gaps were bigger against the less good time trialist on the hilly parts because there's no place to hide. And your speed differential between a really good time trialist and really bad one is higher. It accentuates the difference. So you might think like Roman Bardet, this is his year because he can't time trial and there's a small amount of time trials, but it's actually really going to hurt him because he's going to lose buckets and buckets and buckets of time on that time trial. I even think he was at the... He was at Tour de Suisse, I think, recently and did not do well in the time trials, did, did terribly. Uh, ben O'Connor did really well in the Dauphiné time trial. Adam Yates, our favorite guy, did really well. Um, and Jai, Jai Henley did respectable. So the fact that O'Connor and Henley can time trial, frankly, the, the problem with Henley is he's one of the best climbers in the world until like May 31st. And then he, I don't think he has a single career result after May 31st. So that makes me a little worried. Like, can this man race in the summer or is he just, he's so fit in Australian summer, our winter, that he kind of burns out in the European summer. 
But those guys are really good. I mean, you think to me, like Enric Moss, massively overrated for this race. First of all, he's he's never really won a significant race in his life. He's looked terrible leading into this race. And he's talked about as though he's much better than Jai Hindley. Jai Hindley has finished second and first in the Grand Tour before. As far as pedigree, you know, he's got to be, he should probably be considered one of the favorites behind the top two guys, but I don't, I don't feel like he's being covered that way. <clears throat> that's a, that's a strong analysis. I feel like I need to reach out to Dan Hughes at Sunflower Bikes in Lawrence and kind of get his take on this one. But <laughs> what do you think about Gadu? Man, he was bad. He was really bad recently. That's like, I can't, maybe, maybe I put too much stock in recent form, but he was terrible at the Dauphiné. You know, it was, it was Enric Moss, David Godou, Richard Carapaz, um, and Mika Landa were, were so, so bad at the Dauphiné. Seems hard. And, and he wasn't frankly that good at French nationals last weekend. Seems hard. And, and like the racing is on starting Saturday. It's not, it's not a tour you can just kind of float your way into. Like if you're not ready to roll, you could lose minutes in the first weekend and then you're out of the, you're out of contention. So I, I don't like Gadu for that reason. I, I just think it's going to be too tough to find form out of nowhere. I, I know that they started doing altitude camps for the first time this year at FDJ. My guess is they didn't do it right or he's over fatigued. Um, you know, just, it can be hard. Like, People underestimate how hard it is to recover at altitude. So you can imagine them going up there, Mark Matteo screaming at them to ride harder. And then they're all trashed right before the tour. Maybe he'll come around. He is a talented rider. What did he finish fourth? What did we talk about that yesterday? We, he finished fourth at the tour last year and we have no recollection of it. I just don't, I think he's, he's not as in, in good a shape as he was last year. Yeah, the sensations definitely are not great for him not at great. this moment in time. When you look at the supporting crew on Ejitua, uh, what do you think about the team surrounding Ben O'Connor? It's not good, but it doesn't need to be good. You know, if you're not going for the win, you, the, the tour is the perfect. Uh, I shouldn't say it's not good. It's fine. It's a fine team. It's not Felix Gall, maybe one of the best climbers in the race. The guy is unbelievable. Um, Oliver Nassid. Strong guy on the flats, Benoit Cosnafra, probably going for stage wins, probably doesn't even know who Ben O'Connor is. But you can just be a parasite at the tour. You know, the strong teams, the favorites, just line things out. All you guys, all you have to do at the tour is sit on the wheel and do 6.5 watts per kilo for like 40 minutes. It's not a big deal. But, you know, if you can physically do that, you could feasibly ride to the podium like riding unattached at the Tour de France. It is, it actually takes the least amount of team support to get let's say third through fifth out of any race because even if something's up the up the road and it's threatening your podium the team that's in seventh move star is going to send their entire squad up there to defend Enric moss's seventh place so you don't necessarily need a strong team and now that i look at the start list actually i for breakaway success i would look at uno x who i'm really excited to see um they're like an upstart norwegian oh my thunder i was about to i was about to jump into my uno x analysis come on and is in israel i think those are the two two teams to watch for breakaways they understand the assignment here they're not bringing gc guys yeah sure and same do you see anybody um let's see Okay, we've got Benium on Intermarche going for sprints slash, you know, he can hang in rolly terrain. He could win green. Um, I mean, I, don't, I haven't looked at the betting odds, yeah. but could be an interesting option for that. Yeah, but no, I agree with you. I was looking at the Uno X squad and I was thinking the exact same thing. Um, so I agree with that assessment. And yeah, I'm taking a look here. Who else have we got? Well, we haven't talked about this, but what's going to go down with, you know, are we going to see Wout going for green and uh, trying to win every stage, get a little more, bit more Wout glory, or do you think he's going to fall in line? Well, yeah. So he's saying publicly, I'm not going for green. He might have to leave the tour because he's having a baby. So maybe that's why he's saying he's not going for green because there's no point in putting any extra effort into getting points. Because if you have to leave on the 17th stage, what was the point of that? I was listening to the Lantern Rouge preview and they had a good point of how does Wout Van Aert, just by existing in the race, 
he could very well be leading green. He would almost have to go out of his way. Like Jasper Philipson had a good tour last year. He doubled the points sure. of Philipson. So even if he's not trying, he could win green. Um, especially if he's going for stage wins, which I, I'm assuming he's going to try to get, like think of the opening of this race. He could win stage one. He could probably win stage two. He could go for stage three. He could, he could tr like run through the first week and win three of those stages. So I think he is going to be in contention for green. It's not totally clear to me why he isn't saying that. Maybe they want to present a more united front and that green was a distraction last year, but I think it could be hard for him to avoid it. You know, taking a look at stage one and again, just the, in aggregate, the exercise of prognosticating about the potential winners of all stages throughout the race, somewhat spurious. It's a fun thing to engage in. But if we look at stage one, looks like we have, we have a, a descent. I don't know how high speed this descent is, but like we again have the scenario of we have a descent on a relatively hilly day going into the finish and there are a couple of significant climbs do you think there's any possibility that we see gc action in this stage uh like do we see any splits does anything go down probably yes i mean this is if you watch like basque racing it's like san sebastian in particular like this is really really tough racing um these are hard climbs like the last climb tomorrow it's like 2k at 10 percent. so that's definitely yeah. going to be a, a I, but I think it's going to be less like Jonas Vindegaard took three minutes and more Richard Carap has lost five. I, you know, I think it's going to be GC action out the back. It's just going to be table stakes to get like yeah. finishing in the lead group is like you've passed the test. No one's won the tour, but we have four or five guys we thought were contenders. This is like American speak. We the four or five guys we thought were guys. We thought they were guys. They're not guys. Like, Enric Moss could lose major time. Mika Landa, even though it's his home course, could lose major time. You have to be so good at climbing, like explosive climbing and descending. You know, maybe you could see, like, a 15-second a gap between, I don't know, Tade Pogacar and Jonas Vindegaard, but I don't think so. I think, I think the top guys are going to stick together, and it's just going to expose people who aren't quite here and ready. What do you think about, I'm looking at Quick Step. Julian Alaphilippe kind of overlooked right. in the last few years. To me, this it's, opening weekend kind of has Alaphilippe written all over it. Yeah, overlooked particularly by Patrick Lefebvre. Yeah, his team manager hates very him. much seems to be seems <laughs> to be, if not throwing him off the team, then driving over him with a motorcycle again has happened at the Tour of Flanders a couple of years ago. Yeah, I agree with you that uh, Alaphilippe, you know, like probably wants to get a decent contract somewhere following this his team has talked a lot of trash about him so yeah i feel like he's definitely going to be swinging for the fences here you know it's crazy has the potential has to make a mark another year left on his deal with quick step so after wow. all this wow i mean look, next year. don't you think his agent has to be trying to find a way out of the contract though because we know these contracts are meaningless in europe yeah they're only meaningless if you're the if you like it, the writer is always favored because they can't not pay you, but you can just leave basically. The thing is that, so stage one, let's say he wins that. They've eliminated the time bonus. They had time bonus seconds on the second to last climb because that's a theme throughout most of this race. Uh, they do it to try to have the Peloton pull back the breakaway so you have the main contenders duking it out. Um, that's why they offer those time bonuses. They had it for stage one. They took it out at the last second because no one had thought about the possibility of someone winning the second to last climb, not winning the stage and then having yellow and that being confusing for viewers. I have no idea how that got until like yesterday before anyone realized it. Um, it's not a great sign for the organization here, but if Alaphilippe wins on Saturday, he's in yellow. He's in yellow through like, let's say the first six stages, like that's awesome for him, right? That's, that's his tour done. I think that would probably secure him a nice contract with total energies when Peter Sagan w leaves next year. So to me, that would be, I would bet that's the plan with his, him and his agent. Okay. And <clears throat> what else have you got, Spencer? So I'm hesitant to put, so I have two more, two more things for you. What, what do you think? This is seems okay. this 
he's been a little quiet leading up to this. To me, this could be the tour of Matthew Vanderpool. I, I think he's actually nailed the training here. And this tour is set up in a way, maybe the opening weekend is too hard. Like, is he realistically going to stay with Pogacar and Vinegard on a 10% 2K climb? Maybe not. Um, but once we get out of this opening weekend, Vanderpool's free to fly. I mean, he could be going after many, many, many stages. Or, or am I wrong? Do you disagree? No, I think you're completely right. And I think looking back at last year, he's aggrieved. He wants to make a mark, obviously. And he's someone who loves winning. Gosh, I think I'm describing every rider in the Tour de France. But um, yeah, I think that it would be, I think that he would find it to be very difficult to recover from going to this tour and not winning a stage based on just, you know, what we saw happen last year in the implosion getting smoked. To him, I'm sure it had to feel like public humiliation with what went down, seeing wow take the green jersey, numerous stage wins, become this hero. Like, I don't think he can stomach that. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think it was, you're describing a lot of riders, but that was particularly humiliating for Vanderpool, who is, I mean, one of the most talented riders probably to ever race. Um, so I think he's back for revenge. He's looked a little, he hasn't looked like he's had his normal pop in these races, but that's actually been his theme lately. Like if you remember Strada Bianchi, he looked not good. And then he gets to the, Milan San Remo and his amazing, the Cobble Classics, he was good. So I think he's coming into this great. And then my last one, I, I, I hate to do this. It's reeks of uh, being a casual, as they say. But what do you think about the American lineup? We have six riders here. Are you excited at all? Or are you completely agnostic with your country interest? I'm actually going to be dropping a hit single. It's going to be going up on SoundCloud over the weekend called Six Americans to Watch. And Quinn Simmons said today, he's got 10 extra, you're going to love this. He has 10 extra watts from that American national champs jersey. Because he's so proud to be draped in the flag. And the, does, does that compete with the Cannondale, the extra watts you get from the bottle cage there? It's, it's tough to say. I know you get bucket hat watts over there on the Cannondale team as well. Yeah, Simmons, the thing that I'm curious about um, within the what are they called now? The little, little what is trek. the track? Yeah. Little track, <laughs> just little track. Name. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about who potentially wins what stages there, the profile of the riders. And, you know, it seems like mods and Quinn are suited to a lot of the same stages. Yeah. And I mean, I know we saw Quinn off the front quite a bit last year, but, uh, I don't know. I'm just interested in drama and narrative tension. And when I look at that team and I think about, yeah, Quinn has shown in the past couple of years that he's knocking on the door of some big things in the tour. But I also think, well, I mean, Mods is a former world champion. They, I mean, really, like they both kind of have the same type of profile as a writer in terms of the types of stages they might win. And I think it's going to be harder and harder this year for Quinn to get into the positions he was in last year because he's going to be a marked rider. I don't, he's not this like unknown factor anymore where people are wondering, can he do it or not? I just don't think he's going to get the same leash that we saw him have last year. Hmm. I mean, I honestly hadn't thought a lot about Quinn Simmons because he wasn't on the start list and I hadn't heard about him in months. And then he wins nationals and is here. He's only 22. So I guess in theory, he'd be. He should be getting a lot stronger every year. I'm more just curious to see how he does. I don't really have any hopes or expectations for him. Um, I guess Pedersen and Simmons can't get in the break every, every day. So having two guys that can kind of rotate off yeah. would be helpful. Or, I mean, I'm sure what, what's better than one rider in the break, two strong riders in the break. You could see a lot of Simmons and Pedersen trying to work people over um, off the front. The one rider, like Nielsen Palace on EF, obviously super talented rider. Yeah. I, I, I think maybe not. G, I, I think they're all in for Carapaz. I kind of think that team's going to be a mess. I think they're going to have to come to terms with the fact that Carapaz is not a GC contender. Reset, go for stages. Someone I'm really curious to see is Matteo Jorgensen on Movistar. I think he's their, their best yeah. rider on their team right now. I think Enric Moss is not ready. And I think you could see Jorgensen thrust into a pretty interesting backup GC role where he's just trying to stay high up as long as he can through this race. 
Yeah, I agree. And shifting back to EF for a moment, do you see Palace taking a stage this year? Like, I mean, the way that he was portrayed and Unchained, and again, who knows, this is too hot for TV stuff. He was kind of portrayed as a, an impulsive writer who perhaps lacked the racecraft or strategic mindset to meter his effort in such a way that he could take the wins that he appears to be capable of taking. Do we see him making that transformation this year, or are we going to see Tricky Dick fail out as a GC writer, as you said, like go off the back, lose 10 minutes at some point, and then it shifts into, okay, now we're now riding in support of Carapaz for these wins in the high mountains and Palace, like take a pull. Well, I think, so Palace's biggest win, his only world tour win, he doesn't win that often, is Classica San Sebastian 2021. Tomorrow or Sunday stage is basically just that race, the same course essentially. I mean, it's, it's unlikely. There's going to be a lot of guys going for that, but he's suited. As actually this, this tour, if it doesn't suit the Taco Vanderhorns or Victor Campanards, it does suit Nielsen Palace. It's a lot of really, really, really hard days. Um, where you have to be like truly world class to get into the breakaway, I think it could be a good race for him. I think Carabao is going to be a complete non-issue in the GC. If he wins, I'm going to look like an idiot, but um, I think he's not even close to ready. I, I haven't seen anything from him all year just to indicate that he's going to be informed to hang with the best guys in the climb. So I think it's going to be open season for Palace to go for stage wins. All right, I've got two questions and we've got to wrap it up. We have industries to disrupt, tea times to hit. If you look at uh, Enios, we didn't talk about Bernal. Like, what do you see happening here? I think like 15th. I mean, and I think that's good. Like, if you can finish between 10 and 15th and look respectable, then that's good for him. I think this year is just a complete wash. This is him getting his legs back under him after a really, really rough two years. Um, he just can't, he was good in the last race he did. He just couldn't really, once things got serious in the climbs, he's a few, you know, 40 seconds, minute off the back. You're like that every time there's serious stuff in the mountains, you're going to be, you know, 10th maybe at best. So that's what I see from him. Okay. I want to circle back to, I lied. I've got three questions. I want to circle back to Enios in a moment. My second question is, Froome, of course, is not on the start list. What chance do you think he has of winning the race? He's, he stated that, <laughs> According to him. He stated he's in the, the best form of his life yeah. and he's ready to win the tour. Do you think he has a chance of winning the tour? Uh, I wouldn't put it at zero, that's for sure. And he's already saying 2024, tour 2024. It's the, uh, it is absurd that this keeps happening. And he owns, I think he's like a part owner in Factor Bikes. And he was blaming the equipment for why he hasn't performed and why he's not here. But on a serious note, I think this is, this is massive for Israel Premier Tech. This is them kind of coming to terms with the reality of the situation. Maybe they're paying him 5 million euros a year, which is crazy. And they have, I think they have two years left on that contract. But they're coming to this race with a bunch of strong young riders, plus Mike Woods, a little bit older, um, and Simon Clark. But I think this is going to be a great tour for them. I think this is like, they're moving on, and that's fantastic. I, I, do, I do think Froome could be a late entry, stage okay. 17. He comes in and wins. Yeah. Uh, in all seriousness, though, we do give Chris Froome a lot of stick. I know that uh, he's likely a listener of Beyond the Peloton. So, Chris, if you would like to come on because you have a more flexible July, we would love to have you on during the tour. To I mean, you know, we'll uh, – We'll take inbound. We also may send a message through management, but that would be fun to have Chris on and kind of talk about what's going on inside the tour. And I think there's a non-zero chance that we can make that happen. To I go would back only to do Enios, it if we get to go my... to his house. I yeah, absolutely. So this is at... uh, what is he in Monaco or where is he? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to go. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll just hop on the PJ and be right over. So when we look at Enios, we didn't get to talk about their their rollout video, which if you haven't seen it, the video announcing their roster uh, for an organization with such world-class talent and seemingly an unlimited marketing budget, I think that there was uh, room for improvement on their roster announcement video. Go watch it. You'll know what I'm talking about. And Enios, if you'd like some help with that, you can reach out. Spencer and I would be happy to talk to you. Final question here. Are we going to see any rap videos dropping from uh, Pagacha, 
Wout and some of the other athletes who we have seen rap during the tour before. I know Astana is big into dra- dropping rap videos during the tour. I'd love to see Vinokurov perhaps uh, spit a few bars. What do you think? I think yes and no. I think it's not going to be the people you just named. Lightning does not strike twice. And I think you're going to see a more somber, serious Pogacar this year. No rap video. Astana, I think they're they're on probation for a few years. No more rap videos. I think maybe you could point and say just a little, it's a bad fit, I think. But I mean, I'm looking at Kofidis. Just look at someone you don't, you, you never see these coming. Like Kofidis, Little Trek. Groupama, I don't know. You will see a rap video before the end of this tour. I am certain of that. We just don't know where it's coming from. There you have it. So I think we've covered everything. We're now ready for the tour to begin. Wait, so before we go, you think Mark Cavendish is taking the record, correct? Just to get that on tape. I think I think Mark Cavendish is taking the record. And I'll just throw one more out there. I think John Degenkolb is going to win a stage in this tour. Oh I have no idea Lord. how. That is an absurd statement. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've been reading a lot about East Germany lately. So maybe, you know, maybe it is Degengold. I have no, more respect for him after learning more about the East. So maybe he could win. I don't know. I think, I think and, and you're, you're stuck five years in the past. Look for Rasmus Tiller on Uno X. These young guys are where it's at. I don't know if Degengold's going to come around and win. You saw Perry Roubaix. He's got. That's he's true. Got That's true. Well, thanks for joining us and have a great day. And we will be checking in sometime next week to talk about what is hopefully an exciting first weekend of the race.